for this message, it's kind of a long one, so for those that are writing it down, I will repeat it. Running to Jesus with excitement and leaving disappointed with his challenge. Running to Jesus with excitement and leaving disappointed with his challenge. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 13. Today we will not have it up on the board, so if you have your Bible, you can follow along or just listen as I read. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask, ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. That bear false witness means lie. You shall not lie. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect... Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The Lord, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Running to Jesus with excitement and leaving disappointed with his challenge. The disciples seemed to have failed to grasp Jesus' teaching when they were talking about which of them was the greatest. If you recall, we have, we have spent some time and we keep referencing that passage where they were walking on the road and Jesus said to them, Fellas, what were you discussing on the road? And they were embarrassed to answer his question. The way that it describes is that Jesus kept, in fact, asking the question, the way that when you read it in context, they didn't want to say. It was Jesus who then took a child that we spoke about in a different message and placed that child in the midst of his disciples and told them that unless they become like that child, they could not enter heaven. Now we have the disciples shooing the children away that have been brought to Jesus because they don't consider them important. Point number one, let the children come to me, Matthew 19, 13 through 15. It was a judge who ruled this past, past week, I believe, that Planned Parenthood who, as you know, had done, had been caught in a series of undercover tapes selling and harvesting body parts of children, 
doing a host of other dastardly deeds, they were caught on tape, and it was this judge who ordered that the tapes be sealed. There was no outrage from any celebrities or any liberal groups. However, with the matter of the climate that has not shown any significant changes and the withdrawal of the United States from the Paris Agreement dealing with climate, people basically lost their minds saying that this was the worst decision that could ever happen. Children are going to die. However, there was not a peep from liberals that Planned Parenthood aborts over 900 children a day. Yet, when the weather was spoken about, you heard on the news all over the place, what kind of decision is this? And we need clean air to breathe. And Lord, have mercy. Outrage was expressed. But there was no outrage. When a judge said, seal the tapes, they can't be seen. What type of world do we live in? Where the wind is honored and the wind blows and it is considered to be of utmost importance, but not babies, not children. It was people that were bringing children and babies, it says, actually in the book of Luke, he uses the word infants to Jesus for him to do two things, to place his hands on them and to pray for them. And it was the disciples who were saying, get away, you're not important. We oftentimes find that it was in the context of Jesus placing his hands on people where they were actually healed. But we don't find that that's the case here. He is touching the children and willing to touch them to confer a blessing upon them. It was the disciples who were acting like children who were arguing which of them was the greatest. Then Jesus takes a child and places it right in front. Unless you become like this child, you can't get into heaven. Parents, relatives, etc., bringing children to Jesus. Disciples do not think they are important enough. They had just had a valuable lesson where they stood in sharp contrast to a child. Here they are acting like children. Second thing that we noticed, they wanted Jesus to pray for the children, those that were bringing them. Two of the things that children need most, they need a touch and they need prayer. There was a study just came to my mind, I believe his name was in psychology, Harlow, H-A-R-L-O-W, where they did this experiment with monkeys, Reese's monkeys, I believe, but they did this study to find out what and how would they respond to a figure that wasn't alive but that had cloth around this frame, this wire frame, and another similar object that was a wire mesh but had a bottle attached where they could eat. What they found was that the monkeys would go to the wire frame to eat and to drink the milk, but they would go to the other wireframe that had cloth to get comfort. The food wasn't enough to have them stay there, but the comfort of the cloth. There's something about touch that's important. 
And we often find that Jesus, when those that have been ostracized by society, those that would not be touched, he, we find Jesus often reaching out his hand to touch them, the lepers. The woman who came up behind him where she wasn't supposed to touch him, she reached out and touched the him, the fringe, the tassel was believed of his garment. We find that Jesus was willing to touch those that were oftentimes not being touched in society. Now we have the children being brought so that they can be touched and prayed for. Today, parents, as I told you before, if there's anything you could do for your children, is hug them and pray for them. Pray for your children. In the world in which we're living, they're growing up in a, in a generation right now to where chaos, the loudest voice is ruling rather than what the choices that people make and what's right. Do you not know that people want what they want regardless of if it's right or not? Children are growing up in the day and the time where they're going to be leaders and they're going to basically be running not by what the law says but by what popular opinion says. Touch and prayer is important. Jesus was not happy. And if you look at Mark chapter 10, verse 14, both Mark and Luke of the Synoptic Gospels carries this story here of the children coming as well as the story where we read where the rich young ruler comes. We find that Jesus in the book of Mark was indignant with the disciples. He was upset and angry. Why they would prevent and try to keep them from coming. He carries out and does what the people have brought the children for. They brought them so that they could be touched and prayed for. And so that's exactly what Jesus did. He touched them and he prayed for them. Let the children come to me. Point number two. Approaching Jesus with high expectations. Approaching Jesus with high expectations. Coming to Jesus is wonderful. However, when you turn to leave after your encounter, do you have the same expectations that you came with? There are some people that come to Jesus, and yet, when they come, they don't like always the answer they receive. Have you ever gone to your parents and say, I'd like to have this, can I do this? You come with excitement, they say, no, you sometimes leave disappointed. Sometimes leave upset. Because why? You want what you came for. Some people come to Jesus excited, but leave disappointed because of the cost of following him. Now in the Gospel of Mark, it says that a man came running up to Jesus and knelt down before him. In this passage in Matthew, says that a man came to Jesus. Look at what it says at verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him. Now, I, I need you to, to understand, it's a good thing coming to Jesus. It's wonderful when you can come before the Almighty God because you have a need. The question that this man asked focused on what good deed that he could do in order to receive eternal life. You see, many people are coming saying, what good thing can I do? 
our society li- likes to do things and, and do stories about people who do nice things. All they'll do a story on a person who paid five dollars to the to for the to on the bridge toe for a person that was following behind them. Oh, they just go overboard. They did a wonderful thing. This person's been leaving money around the park. $20 bills included. And oh, what a wonderful thing, Mr. Nice. But let the church pray for a person. Hold a prayer meeting and say, God bless and help these children. And help them to, to learn spiritually and to be able to grow and learn the word of God. And you don't hear a peep. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? That question remains for many people today. What can I do to get into the kingdom without doing exactly what God says? That's what people really want. How can I make it in without doing what the Lord really says to do? Follow the Bible. I don't want to follow the Bible. Do what the Lord says. I want a different way. How can I enter the kingdom without doing exactly what he says? Now, Matthew says when he says good, Jesus responds first to that particular um, statement, good teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Mark, in both Mark and Luke, they say, there's nobody good but God. Matthew says there's only one who is good, and we can assume that he is referring to God. Now, it's a very interesting thing when this man says, what good thing can I do? Why? Because he thinks he has something to bring to God, to Jesus. He thinks he's got something that he can do, something he can offer. People are like that today. I've got something to bring to the table. Jesus is saying that your righteousness, you're saying you're good. Your righteousness has to match the righteousness of God. If God is the only one that's good, and you are saying, what good thing can I do? And Jesus says, the only one who is good is God. Your righteousness cannot come below who God is. If it does, you have nothing good to offer. You cannot match up to God. So saying, what good can I do? Well, let's, let's, let's find out. If God is a standard, and he is, then where does your righteousness lie? Note that Jesus does not say anything about himself when he says, what good thing? When this man says, what good thing? And the Lord says, there's basically, there's no one good. But God, in the other Gospels, in Mark and Luke, if Jesus says this, note carefully, he does not say anything about himself. Jesus does not say Um, Only God is good. That excludes you and me. But the statement we know excludes him. But Jesus is not excluded because we know that Jesus is God. He doesn't rule out himself. Now, Jesus basically repeats commandments for this young man, five through nine. What good thing must I do? He asks, he basically addresses the question, and then he lists. A number of things to him, he says. Keep the commandments. He said, which ones? I'm not sure if there was any commandments that ever could be broken, but he says, which ones? When we think about honoring God, but we know that, you know, keeping the, the, the commandments it was the, was, is what God gave Moses to the Israelites. 
And when, let, me, let me just say this. And when we look at the commandments of God, we understand that the Ten Commandments basically boil down all of the 613 laws that were given in the Old Testament. They are basically wrapped up within the Ten, the framework. Now, the Lord says, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you shall, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, on the Tenth Commandment, Jesus did not actually give him the commandment, but he gave him a summary of that commandment that is taken from Leviticus chapter 19, 18. And in fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to turn to Leviticus 19, 18 and read that verse for you. Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now that is not one of the commandments, but that's that is what the Lord gives him, and that love your neighbor, it sums up commandment number 10. Now, Jesus starts what we call the second part of the Decalogue. What is the Decalogue? The Ten Commandments. The Decalogue means the Ten Commandments. It is the Lord who starts with the second half. Well, what do you mean the second half? Are there different halves of the commandments? There's what is said to be the first and the second. Now, I'll explain that. Let me say this first. When we consider the tablets where the Lord gave the commandments to Moses, oftentimes we see in the story Moses walking down that mountain with two tablets. Y'all, y'all seen the, the Ten Commandments, the Cecil B. DeMille's? That was, that was very well done. And you look today, it's like, oh my goodness, man, the things have changed, you know. We see Moses on that mountain one way and come down, his hair flowing all gray. That man aged upon that mountain. Glowing. But, but you see, the commandments that were written, most people think that you got five on one and five on the other. No. It is believed that the commandments, the ten, were inscribed on both sides of the tablet, front and back. The second tablet, in the custom of the day, would be a copy of the commandment, one representing for God and one for the people to obey. The second half or the second part of the commandments that the Lord so strategically gives this man, it addresses and deals with how one is to interact with one's neighbor. The first four commandments deals with one's relationship with God. The next six commandments deal with how we are to relate to each other. That's where the Lord started with this young man. He didn't start with commandment number one. Now let's go on and look at this. The coming of this young man, it implies that he knows there is something missing in his life. And so he comes and what must I do? He is a young man, we come to find out, a young ruler. 
And the Bible says he comes, and to be a ruler, you normally did not run. He came running to the Lord saying, what must I do? And when the Lord lists off these commandments, five through nine, and then said, love your neighbor, this young man responds, I have kept all of these. In his excitement, I've done it all. I've done these. But you never come to Jesus. And he never misses, misdiagnoses a problem. When he gives the answer, like I told you, it goes to the heart of the problem that this young man has. I've kept all of these. This young man is trying to say, I have earned my way into the kingdom if this is what it is. But the young man still is not satisfied. He says, I- I've done this, but, but still, what else do I need to do? There's still this matter of him not feeling like he is in. Am I missing something? You see, obeying and trying to carry out rituals cannot save you. Saying that you've gone to church 365 days out of the year ain't enough to save you. I've done all of these. What more do I lack? What else can I do? That's the question a lot of people are asking. Do you not know that when you come to the Lord, you are bankrupt? That means you've got nothing inside of you to offer him that he can say, yeah, I can take that and use that. No, 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 you're bankrupt. You might as well go ahead and file chapter 7 and 11. Some of y'all are are overdrawn right now in the bank. So I'm going to write this check and I'm going to beat it to the bank. Then you go writing a check and try to get there before it. Now don't cash it. Before next. Um, hold on a second. Let me look. Let me think. Give me three weeks. No, just hold on to it then and then give it to me then. When you come to the Lord, you come bankrupt. Nothing to offer. And this young man didn't understand this before my time is going. The Lord says, if you want to be perfect, if you would be perfect. That word perfect uh, often in the Bible means complete. If you would be Complete. When we hear the number seven, oftentimes, we think of completion. We think of the Lord making the world in six days and resting on the seventh day. We, we, we consider and look at, we've got seven days in a week, right? And we think about this number seven of perfect. So when the Lord says perfect, he is talking about completeness. If you really want to be complete, you, individually, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. The Lord gave this, man, gave this young man something that he could hold on to. But the Lord knew this man's heart. This man's response denotes a lot of people's responses. He turned and he walked away. Go sell what you have and give to the poor. Why? Because this young man had a problem. Now get this. Don't miss it. 
He had just said, I have kept all of these commandments. What do I lack? Well, the Lord took him right to the place of loving his neighbor. One, he didn't love his neighbor. Because if he really loved, he would have been able to do. Because why? He would have been able to do, sell, and give to the poor, which would be his neighbors. He couldn't do it. Then the second thing, which would really be the first, the Lord then basically shows him he didn't love God. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall have no other gods before me. This man's God was his stuff, his money, his belongings. He could not depart or part with it. So he comes with the, he comes and what can I do? And what did the Lord say to him? For you, you, you've got to go give it away. And then he said something. Then come follow me and you will have treasure. Why? Because you will show that you have a love. But this young man, we never hear of him again in scripture. We never hear of him changing his life, his mind. We never hear of him coming back to the Lord and saying, I've changed my heart. The Bible says he had great possessions. Now let me say this, because I'm not going to be able to get through all of this today. When we basically have a sigh of relief, whoo, I'm so glad God ain't calling me to do that today. It is because we actually have a problem in the area that the Lord is calling us to. For this young man, it was this. For you, it might be something else. But get this. It requires your all for Christ. It requires all of you. If the Lord asked some people to give 17% of their income to the work of the kingdom, they would tell Jesus flatly no. If the Lord said give 11.5%, they wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Why? Because we are tied to stuff and we say, I can't let this go for the Lord. (laughs) This young man's problem was that he didn't love his neighbor as he thought. And he didn't love God enough to come and honor him. The Lord exposes his heart that he was bankrupt. Running to Jesus with excitement and leaving disappointed With the challenge. He was given a challenge. Then come, follow me. It's not based on the fact that you have stuff. It's based on the fact that you have put your trust in me. Get this. Once that young man would have sold his stuff and came and followed the Lord, he would have realized he had everything. Think about this as I close. There was a man, a parable given, who found a treasure in a field. Found the treasure, went and hit it again and sold everything he had and bought the field. He gave everything. Why? Because the price of that treasure, it was priceless. The treasure was priceless. He says, if I can just get the treasure, if I can just get the treasure that's in that field, he says, I'll give up everything for the treasure. That's what it comes to when we think about the kingdom of God. The reason that many people don't serve God today is that they are holding on to 
their own treasure, their own stuff. Can't let it go. God, I don't like your ways. And I don't like why I got to do this. Why I got to go apologize to people that's done me wrong. And when they say, sorry, I can't have an attitude for eight months against them. Why, Lord? I don't like saying I'm sorry. I don't like saying I'm sorry. No, I don't. I can't do it. There's some people that's done some stuff to me in the past. I look at them. I, I, I got to pray. I got to pray, got to pray, got to pray. But bless the Lord. Can overcome. It don't make, it don't mean it's going to be easy. You may have another problem. Whatever it might be. But when you come to the Lord, you gain everything that he has. I think people just have really forgotten that we are really only stewards down here. We're stewards. And if we hold too tightly our hands that they can be pried off, we're going to have a problem. As I conclude, this young man's problem was that he didn't love God. And he loved himself more than anybody else. So, in fact, we come to find out that no... He hadn't kept all the commandments. And he walked away after coming with excitement. He walked away disappointed because of the challenge offered by the Lord himself. Bow your heads, please. What are you struggling with right now that the Lord is calling you to turn away, to bring it to him, and to follow him completely wholeheartedly? What, what are you harboring? What are you dealing with now? What possesses you? Today, Lord, we pray that we will be willing to come to you completely, humbly, acknowledging that we are bankrupt. That we will come to you recognizing that you give an invitation. You give us something. And then... We are expected to carry it on and to walk it through and to live it out. We are expected to do, to do something with what you have given us. You've given the invitation. Come and then receive eternal life. May we recognize that, God, you have everything. It's in you. It's not in the stuff. It's in you. And then that you allow us to use your items, the things that you've given them, to bring honor to your name. May we never forget it, Lord. That's the purpose. May we recognize and realize that we are not to have, allow things to have us. But, oh, we are to use things for the glory of the almighty God. May we not be like this young man that turns around and walks away, disappointed because... Of the challenge. But we pray that God will give ourselves. Love our neighbors. Love God. Be willing to do what you have called us to do. Recognizing that we stand bankrupt. Before you. 
and must receive your righteousness in order for us to be covered. May we never forget it. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. God bless you. God bless you.